I just heard a little voice that said, All right. I will not take that personally. Thank you so much, praise team, for leading us this morning. Well, all of us are familiar with this very famous saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I did not know that Teddy Roosevelt was the originator of that saying. That was a surprise to me. The other saying that he is famous for is walk softly and carry a big stick. Uh, Somehow those two don't match. But did you ever expect consistency from a politician? But this is true. This is true. There's another way that some of you perhaps have heard that you could say this same thing. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And in Christian service, this is absolutely true. My dear friend Jack Brown, and I'm not sure if Jack was able to be here this morning, but Jack, if you are, he has said to me many times, the ministry is heart work. The ministry is heart work. And ministry must come from a heart for people. Now, the Apostle Paul would completely agree with that. After a very long introduction to his gospel, he gets very, very personal with the Roman Christians. Here's what my old professor Tom Constable has to say. He had not met the Christians to whom he wrote, so he spent some time sharing his heart with them. How many of us this morning would like to see into the heart of the great Apostle Paul? Wouldn't that be a great opportunity? And then upon seeing his heart, wouldn't that be a challenge for us? Is my heart like his heart? Well, this morning as we continue our series in the book of Romans, we are going to look at this message that I'm simply entitling the heart, they're the matter of the heart. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1, and we want to begin looking together at verses 7 to 13 as Paul transitions from his introduction to his greeting. And here in a very wonderful way, he just opens up his heart and he lets us see. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord, thank You for this wonderful servant of Yours. And thank You for how He opens His heart to the Romans and to us, that He might show us that ministry really is a matter of the heart. Teach us that in these moments that we have together. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Notice verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the first thing that is key in our hearts, that we treat all believers equally in Christ. Now there are many ways that Paul could have begun this greeting 
But he begins in verse 7 with to all, and that is very, very significant. He leaves nobody out as he greets this church. His heart has room to take in all Christians. So there's no favorites here. There's no pets. There's no insider group. There's nobody who is accorded a special attention. One of the things we discover as we read Romans is that there was friction and tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. Uh, how many of you are surprised to learn that? I don't think so. And it appears as though the Christian faith began in the synagogues in Rome. Uh, we know that there were at least ten synagogues in that great metropolis of about a million people. Probably there were more. And so in the early going of the Roman house churches where they would meet together, Jewish leaders and customs prevailed in those churches. But in A.D. 49, you know that the Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. So by the time Paul wrote Romans in A.D. 57, Gentile leadership and customs dominated the churches. Well, in A.D. 54, Claudius died, and so the Jews started migrating back to Rome along with many of these Jewish Christians. They were now in the minority, and their customs no longer prevailed. Hey, that never causes division in churches today, does it? One group going from the majority into the minority... The familiar being replaced by the unfamiliar, that never causes tension today, does it? You know what we think? We think our worship wars are new, don't we? We, we, we think that, uh, you know, traditional versus contemporary is new. We think our, our battles over translations are new. Do you know what we're going to find when we get to chapter 14? There was a vegetarian meat-eating controversy in this church. I think we ought to start two new services today. One for vegetarians and one for meat-eaters. How up-to-date is that? Hey, say it with me. There is nothing new under the... Yeah, these Christians had the same us versus them as we do. Do you know what the key is to resolving divisions within the body of Christ? It is exactly what Paul said in Galatians 3, 28 and 29. Let's read it together. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When it comes to our position before Almighty God because of Jesus Christ, all of us stand on an equal footing. And all of God's people said, Amen. Now, I want you to notice that's how Paul begins this greeting in Romans chapter 1. He puts both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians on an equal footing in Christ. Notice what he says about them. He says they're loved by God. They're called 
And they're saints, which means they are set apart unto the Lord. You know what those three terms were? Those were only for Jews in the Old Testament, but now it's for all believers, Gentiles as well. And it's interesting when Paul says about them, you're called, you're set apart, that's the meaning of saints. Well, that's the very way he introduced himself in verse 1. Look at this. The great apostle Paul says to these believers, you are on the same equal footing as I am. What a testimony to his humility. And then when he says grace to you, that was a Greek greeting. Peace to you, that was a Jewish greeting. He greets them in a way that both sides would be appreciative of. And then he says, God is our Father. That used to be said only of Jews in the Old Testament, now all believers. And he concludes by saying, it's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to pause with me for just a moment. There are two insights here that go a long way to creating a healthy, unified church. How many are interested in that? A healthy, unified church. Here's the first insight. Number one, when I see my identity in Christ, I must act differently. Would you agree with me? Behavior always follows identity, right? Who you perceive that you are will determine how you behave. May I ask you this question? Who are you? If you're a Christian here this morning, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the Apostle Paul says you should? Loved by God? Called by Him? Set apart to live as a saint? Someone who has received grace so that you can now experience peace. Someone who can say, God is my Father. It's all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that how you see yourself? If you do, it will have a powerful effect upon the way that you live. Here's the second insight. When I see you, how you are in Christ... I must treat you as equal. That is the key to resolving all division within the church. When I see you, how you are in Christ, then I must treat you as my equal. Let me ask you this morning, how many of us want to belong to a church where people are acting as they should and treating others as equals? How many want to belong to that kind of a church? Absolutely. And that's the heart of the Apostle Paul. Let's continue. Notice secondly, as we look at his heart, we see that he teaches us, find something to be thankful for in others. Look at verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. When Paul says the Roman church's faith was proclaimed in all the world, what he means is they were a thriving church. Yes, there were issues in that church which he addresses later on, 
but they were remaining true to the gospel. Now you know this, what happened in Rome eventually spread to the rest of the empire. And this had two effects. Number one, it encouraged small congregations spread all over the Roman Empire. Hey, it was hard to be a Christian in the first century. You know that. It was difficult. And if there could be a thriving church at the center of the Roman Empire in Rome, what an encouragement this was to other struggling Christians all around the Roman Empire. And then something else. Wherever the Apostle Paul went, he met people who already knew about Christianity due to the Roman church. And so this growing testimony helped Paul in his missionary, in his ministry as a missionary as he went from place to place. And so he thanks this church that they're thriving, have a good reputation, and are doing well. So let me ask a question. How many of us think Paul could have started by criticizing this church? He could have. There were things to criticize. Instead, he starts with thanks. You know what he knew? He knew the power of praise. He knew how much people appreciate genuine appreciations. The Romans had a good reputation, and therefore he wanted to encourage them. And praise them. I have a book in my library that is written by Pastor John MacArthur on the family. He wrote it many years ago. It's called The Fulfilled Family. I want you to listen to what he said was his own endeavor in trying to raise his children. Listen to what he said. He said, I believe in my own life, for every time I tell my child about something he's done wrong, I ought to equalize it by telling him something he's done right. Now, sometimes you have to look hard and be creative. And all parents said, I didn't think you'd laugh that much. But he says, find something to praise that child for. A child responds just as you do to reward, encouragement, and approval. How many want to belong to a church where we balance criticism with praise? How many want to belong to a church like that? That's the heart that Paul had. Let's look at another area of his heart. Number three. Tell others that you pray for them and then do so. Look at verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always asking in my prayers that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now like Daniel in the Old Testament, most serious Jews had set times of daily prayer. 
Uh, Paul probably prayed uh, three different times during the day like Daniel. And that's what he means when he says here that I prayed for you without ceasing. When he talks about in my prayers, he probably means at my prayer times. So in these times of prayer that he had every day, probably three of them, he mentioned the Romans and he said to God, would you help me so that I might be able to get there and minister in that church? Do you know what's so astounding about this? He had never been there. And he didn't know most of them. And can't you just hear some Romans at this point saying, Oh, yeah, right. The great Apostle Paul, he prays for us. Tell us another one. And Paul says it is so important that you know I'm praying for you that I call God as my witness. Let me tell you, when you call God as your witness and you take an oath, that means something is very important. And that's what Paul is saying. I've been very privileged to have some very good mentors in my life. One of my mentors one day said this to me, the most important thing about a pastor is that he has his people on his heart. I've never forgot that. The most important thing about a pastor is that he has his people on his heart. And nothing says we have each other on our hearts more than praying for each other. And as we look at the heart of this great Christian, nothing says more about his heart And he prayed for people he had never visited and most of whom he did not know. One of the great pastors of many years ago was W.H. Griffith Thomas. He was a co-founder of Dallas Theological Seminary where I went to school. And it's one of those mysteries uh, that we just always do not understand. Before W.H. Griffith Thomas ever taught a class at Dallas Seminary, though he was a co-founder, he died. And he never taught a class. But his legacy lives on. And I want you to notice what Pastor Thomas had to say about this. Look what he says. Prayer is one of the most definite and genuine proofs of sincere Christian affection. And what can we all say to that this morning? Prayer, perhaps more than anything else, shows you care. How many want to belong to a church where we pray for each other? Yeah, thanks for that amen back there. That reveals the heart of the Apostle Paul. Let's look at the next one. In your ministry to others, let them meet your 
needs. Look at verses 11 and 12. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. What's the spiritual gift that Paul is talking about here? Well, probably his gift of apostleship, his gift of teaching other people the gospel. And here's probably what he means. After sending Romans, Paul planned to follow up visit where he would answer any questions that had come up from the book of Romans. By the way, how many of you think there's a few questions that might have come up? So you know what he probably planned to do? He probably, and he arrived about three years later, uh, his circumstances were changed, but at this point, this is what he probably planned to do, go from house to house where these house churches were gathered and explain the letter that he had written and answer any questions about Romans. Uh, How many of you would like to be a part of one of those Bible studies? Right? The Apostle Paul teaching you Romans. If there were phones in in that day, cannot you imagine this kind of a phone call? Hey, Paul is coming to our house church on Tuesday night. He's coming at 5.30. He's going to be explaining to us any questions we have about the letter of Romans. Are you able to come? Am I able to come? Yes, I'm able to come. I will be there early. Wonderful. Oh, by the way, could you please also bring some lamb chops with you? Oh, that's right. I forgot. You're, you're in the vegetarian group. So could you bring some vegetables with you? Wow. But I want you to notice something. Don't miss this. Paul corrects himself. Did you see that? Verse 12. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Do you know what? Verse 11 alone sounds rather conceited. I'm coming to you and I'm going to bless you. I'm the great Apostle Paul. What could you possibly do for me? Sounds rather conceited, doesn't it? But look at verse 12. Paul knows he needs encouragement. Others' faith encourages him. Could we pause for a moment here? The presence of faith in another believer, no matter how lowly, can encourage us. Do you believe that? The presence of faith in another believer, no matter how lowly, can encourage us. You know what this is? This again is the humility of the Apostle Paul. Have I used the word humility more than once in this message? Pastor John Calvin has such a great comment here. He said, There is none so void of gifts in the church of Christ who cannot contribute to our spiritual progress. What a great statement. 
There is none so void of gifts in the church of Christ who cannot contribute to our spiritual progress. As I mentioned earlier, over the years I've had some very good mentors in my life and two pastors who mentored me taught me a very important lesson. They said one of the greatest things we can do to ennoble others is to let them serve us. One of the greatest things that you can do to your brothers and sisters in Christ is to let them serve you. See, letting others minister to us gives them value and it gives them worth. And so what Paul says is, when I arrive, yeah, I'm going to do some ministry to you. I'm going to use my apostolic gift of teaching the gospel. And as I do, that will probably bring a lot greater unity between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, the meat eaters and the vegetarians. But you're going to use your faith, your gifts, to minister to me. And what is Paul saying? Let others exercise their faith towards you. Our dear sister Shirley Fur just went home to be with the Lord. And at her funeral, I displayed this cross. She gave identical crosses like this one year to Pastor Hank and I. Shirley was a very behind-the-scenes type of person. I never saw her teach a lesson. Never saw her be up in front of a crowd other than when she was in the choir. She was a behind-the-scenes kind of person. But she had a very special ministry to uh, the pastors of this church and our families. She never missed a year in which she encouraged us in some way. And one year, this was the encouragement that she gave to us. Every Christmas, she had a gift for our wives. What a blessing it was. After many weeks of her being absent, she was here on Christmas Eve. And when our wives went into the church office, there were Christmas gifts for both of them. Uh, This cross that she bought personally for us has uh, some wonderful statements on it. Let me read some of the statements. You are loved because He loved you first. God is always by your side. Seek courage and strength through Him. God surrounds us by His grace. How many here think that I don't need this? How many think this is not something that that I need? Of course I need this. You know what I learned? I needed Shirley. We need Shirley. You needed Shirley. And now that she's gone, her ministry lives on. Her ministry lives on. How many want to belong to a church where we need each other? Of course. 
of course. Look at the last one, finally. Help your church fulfill its mission. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, verse 13, that I often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles where God has sent me. Now what's the harvest here? Well, obviously it's new converts. Paul wants to win people for Jesus Christ, and so he's coming to help the Roman church fulfill the Great Commission. They're not only going to be strengthened, but their mission is going to go forward. He is saying to them, you have been flourishing, and I want to help you flourish even more. Do we need people like that in the church? Of course we do. Of course we do. On our way to visit my brother-in-law in North Muskegon, we drive by a very sad sight. We drive by a church that had a very glorious past. In fact, when I was a boy in the 60s and early 70s growing up, this church was the largest church in the lower Michigan district that we belonged to. It was a sister church of this church. But over the years, what happened in that church is people forgot their mission. And infighting started. You ready for some sad news? That church split three times. As we drive into that area to get to my brother-in-law's house, we drive past two of the splits. And if we were to drive five miles out of our way, we would drive past the third split. And that church forgot its mission because they couldn't get along. How many this morning want to belong to a church that stays on mission? How many? Yeah. Because in a church that stays on mission, you don't have time for infighting. You're too focused on the Great Commission. And that was the heart of the Apostle Paul. What did we say as we began? The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And this is Paul's heart. Is it yours? Is it mine? Let's read them together, shall we? And let's read them with a commitment from our hearts to let Christ make us 
this kind of Christian. Join me. Treat all believers equally in Christ. Find something to be thankful for in other Christians. Tell others you pray for them, and then do so. In your ministry to others, let them meet your needs and help your church fulfill its mission. And all God's people said together, Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, the ministry is truly heart work. And Lord, if our hearts are wrong, our ministry can never be right. We can have wonderful education, we can have great talents. We can be articulate, skillful, but if our heart is wrong, our ministry will be wrong. And sooner or later, a problem in the heart will reveal itself as a problem in the ministry. And teach us today, as Proverbs says, to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of them flow the issues of life. Thank you for the humility of the great Apostle Paul. Thank you for his willingness to open his heart and let us look inside that we might see why he was so beloved, so effective, and so blessed of the Lord. And teach us to do this same examination so that we might be in the place of your blessing, in the place where you can use us, in the place where our church can be all that you have called us to be. And so we humbly bow at your feet. We thank you for a living Savior who is at work amongst us. We pray for any defects that you might see, that you would bring them to the surface. We thank you for your great forgiveness and mercy. We thank you that you are constantly shaping us, that we might be after your will. So we love you this morning. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.